You are now tuned in to anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Welcome to Anything is Potable. The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, the great Jambino, the Sultan of SWAT? No, I forget I forget all my nicknames, but I am a professional. The Sultan of Junk, the Colossus of Kaizen. There we go. And that voice you hear is the kid himself. We basically just named ourselves after Sandlot characters, but Jay King, Celtics beat reporter. How are you doing? Rocking the Maurice Claret jersey today. Maurice Claret, yeah, one of my favorite football players of all time. Unfortunately, hit a few snags in his personal life that derailed what could have been an awesome career. Unlike Maurice Claret, anything is potable will not be derailed. We just came with to you with three post-game shows from the Celtics scrimmages, and we are ready to move on to the actual seeding games, the bubble. Now, for this exercise, I asked Jay to come up with five Bold predictions for... Mine weren't that bold. I didn't know they were supposed to be bold. All predictions are supposed to be bold. Like, you're just, like, going to predict that tomorrow's going to happen? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, I, I always struggle with bold predictions. Yeah, because you're you're always the on the middleman. You're not you're not a take artist. I'm the take artist. You are the yeah, reasonable I look, one. <laughs> I look forward to hearing your predictions. Well, here's the thing. I So you sent me your predictions. I You don't know what my predictions are, but actually there's a lot of, like... Uh, overlap in what we predicted and so we're going to be going through those today discussing them uh, and we'll see try to get you guys as ready as possible for the bubble which starts Friday against the Milwaukee Bucks real games are going to be played and so let's get it right into it first thing to uh, topic that both of us uh, touched on was what the Celtics are going to do at the center position now Jay you predicted that Grant Williams will take Ennis Cantor's spot as a backup center in the playoffs. Now, I would agree. We saw a lot of Grant Williams talk uh, or heard a lot of Grant Williams talk coming out of the scrimmage games. He played mighty well. He was kind of top of the rotation um, when there was only uh, when there were seven guys on the bench. He was top of the rotation. Uh, But what made you what makes you feel so strongly that Williams will be uh, get more playing time than Cantor? I think, well, first of all, first round could be a Cantor series. Whether it's Indiana or Philadelphia, that's going to be a Cantor series. I think he's going to be able to play and play well in the first round series. I think after that, the Celtics are going to be matched up against Toronto with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, who are just tough to guard in the pick and roll. Pascal Siakam, same thing. He's coming downhill at you. Cantor just won't be able to keep up. And I think... In a perfect world for the Celtics, Robert Williams would have been able to take strides forward and be ready and be mobile and locked in and make a difference on every possession. But I just don't see that happening. I think Grant Williams is by far the Celtics' best backup center option as a defender. And I think that Brad Stevens will ultimately lean that way when making his decisions in the second round of the playoffs and beyond. I think that's likely to be the case. I just don't see can't, – Cantor just can't guard on the perimeter. Uh, the question is against that Toronto series is like what do you do if they go double bigs with Ibaka and Gasol? Can you really rely on kind of a smaller guy like Grant Williams um, to kind of deal with, I guess, the size of Gasol? He's not Grant as Williams athletic. Grant Williams is brolic, bro. 
he is quite big, uh, although he remember he slimmed down. Uh, remember the early in the bubble, we saw that those slimmed down pictures that you, you know, insisted he was quite smaller. I took the prediction on the other side. I just thought that instead of focusing on the backups, I think they're just going to play Tice more. Tice only played uh, 24 minutes a game this year. I had made the very bold prediction that he's going to make average more than 26 per game in the playoffs. Initially, I said 30 in my head, and I thought that was ridiculous. But I do think, like, as the playoffs uh, go on, they're just going to rely on those top six guys a lot more. And so rather worrying about the backup center position, just, you know what, have less minutes on the court when you uh, need a backup. I just think Tice's minutes are going to go up. He's never really done it that much, but it's the playoffs. What else are you going to do? Yeah, I think the amount of minutes that Tice can handle is actually a big question for the Celtics. That probably isn't discussed enough. I don't know any, anyone with a podcast who could maybe discuss that more often. They probably should. But, yeah, he, he's averaging like, what is it, 24 minutes a game? Yeah. He's never really been a high-minute guy. Obviously, he was a third-unit guy before this season. He was behind Al Horford and Aaron Baines. Obviously, in Europe, guys don't play as many minutes. They have shorter games. So the amount of minutes he can handle is very important because obviously he's their best center. He's their most complete center. He's been the most impactful for them. He fits best with their best players. As many minutes as he can handle, that they're going to want to give him that number. I just don't know what that number is. If it's but, but if so, it's why do you think to, it was? Why do you think it was twenty four minutes? like this season just because they had so many other bigs that they wanted to get minutes to, or do you think it was like because Tice couldn't really push himself more or like, what do you think the reason was it was below 25? I would guess that they wanted to play Cantor and Williams, but I mean, you you saw it in some of the, the bigger games and some of the games where they played offenses that are tough to match up with. Like, I think he played, 38 minutes, I want to say, against the Thunder or the Rockets, rather, with James Harden. I'm, I'm looking up his minutes right now as we discuss this. This is great podcasting. I wish I'd been prepared on this matter. Um, you should have just uh, pivoted to me, and then so I could have made a point while you were looking it up. Um, that see, would have been the that, elite move. That would have been elite, but but you're the host here. You're you're the one in charge. Um, That's 39 minutes. You're... 39 minutes against the Rockets. So. We've seen him play close to 40 when they really need him. We've seen that the Celtics coaching staff obviously depends on him more than anybody else against the guys that are like tough to match up like that. I just don't know how consistently he can handle that type of load. But I do think like if, if he can play 30 to 33 minutes a game, that's a huge, huge deal for them. And that limits the amount of minutes that they have to give to the backup centers. It seems largely dependent on matchup because he's going to play. He played that much against the Rockets, who are super small. And I think this like, combines both of our predictions in that if they play a team that is small and is like a very good on the perimeter and is switchable, they're going to rely on Tice and Grant Williams more just because Cantor is not playable. And so I think you're right. The first round series where it's potentially Turner Sabonis, although Sabonis is out now, um, but if it's Turner or a uh, first round series against Embiid, that you're going to see a little bit more of Cantor just for that size. But as they you kind of move on, uh, I would expect the Celtics to play smaller and smaller. Um, and so 
Maybe that means more minutes for Tice. Maybe that means more minutes for Grant Williams instead of Ennis Kanter. Maybe we can both be right. And the other Who thing knows? here to keep in mind is foul trouble. The war on Tice continues. And if, the more minutes you play, especially if you're playing Joel Embiid or Siakam in the Raptors or Giannis, like fouls are a thing. And especially for big men, that could be a thing. So that's and another thing. you know thing who else had foul trouble? Minutes. Grant Williams had some foul trouble this year. Like he's pretty good at going straight up, but then he just like slams his arms down and he he fouled out in six minutes, I think, in a game this year. So um a little, little, bit, depending- little bit of trivia here. Guess what was the second highest minutes total Tice played this season? Thirty-one. Thirty-four, March tenth, right before the world shut down. So he was ramping up. Who was that he was, against? He was ramping up. That was against the Pacers, actually. So a, a bigger squadron. So maybe maybe Tice is the guy. I think I think, oh, I think I'm really it's, like it's quite clear Tice is the guy. But I, I think, and I, I really do believe that's one of the the major things for the Celtics is if if he can stay on the court for thirty plus minutes a game and they can limit the minutes for Cantor and their other options, that's a win for them. Yeah, it, I'm. I'm kind of. Uh, I'm not feeling great about my 26 minutes per game prediction, just because it feels so so mild. So I'm gonna, yeah, you you were talking about how you're supposed to have hot takes in these, and then you come out with the most lukewarm bullshit I've ever heard. I said 28 minutes per game. Daniel Tice will average more than 28 minutes per game. But I think the the big thing that we focused on here, which brings us to um, one of your next predictions, is the Celtics going small, and so. I labeled this section playoff shenanigans, but your hot take was the Celtics will use their best five lineup regularly in the playoffs. I will say this was a bold one because I am not convinced by this one at all. They did, just didn't do it during the regular season. <laughs> they didn't even try it. I think that lineup has been used six times for 15 minutes total. Obviously, the, the best players have only been available in the same game like 14 or 15 times. That still means Brad Stevens decided half those games, I don't want to use this lineup. And the other half, he's like, I'm only going to use this lineup for a couple minutes at a time. It is not a look he's tried. I think it's a look that he'll go to in the playoffs. I think Embiid obviously can just ruin you. But I think some of the other teams that they'll play, obviously the Raptors, their big guys are good, but they're not the type of good that's just like physically impose their will on you and and then I think with the Bucks, I think the idea of trying to spread out Brooke Lopez and force him to guard the perimeter even if there's an obvious downside to that as he pulverizes you in the low post at the other end trading threes for twos could be could be good it could be fun it could could work so I I just think I'm I'm not 100% sold on this prediction at all but I think the best <laughs> the best five lineup We'll play regularly. <laughs> I'm not as old, but it might happen. I mean, I think I'm it makes not sense. At all. <laughs> You're not sold at all. It's barely a prediction. It is a mere possibility. It makes sense. I just don't see them going to it for a long stretches of times, but it makes sense as like kind of like a change of pace. Like let's win, like end this quarter on a on a different run. Let's kind of change the tempo of this game. Like let's get the tempo going. But 
I mean, that lineup is very small. You're either having Marcus Smart play center, which we all know he can do, but it's not something you want to rely on for a long period of time, or you're basically relying on Jason Tatum to be center. He does have crazy long arms, but you're really exposing yourself to kind of just getting beat up on the boards. The Celtics are a decent rebounding team, but they're like not great. And especially with dribble penetration with that group, you're just not going to get any sort of rebounding. Um, so maybe if it's to stretch Brooke Lopez out, I don't know. The whole key to last year's season was Al Horford's like ability to stretch Brooke Lopez out. And that really didn't do much, but the best five lineup is, uh, a lot more athletic than Al Horford is. So maybe that will do uh, some help. I, I don't know what to say about this prediction either. I feel much stronger about my, my predictions when it comes to playoff shenanigans. Um, my thought is that this playoffs, because the guys are on the same campus and will are going to be living together is going to turn into the most petty, like NBA Twitter, this league playoffs ever, just because rather than like going back to their own team hotels, these players are going to be like engaged in seven game series, staying hypothetically in the same hotel. We saw um, in a scrimmage game, just the shit talking that went on between the Blazers and Raptors, like not, teams that are natural rivals was just out of this world. I'm just thinking that like the intensity with all the NBA watching all the NBA in the same environment or all the NBA teams that matter, uh, the pettiness and the fights uh, are going to be fantastic. I mean, I was pretty disappointed that Marcus smart didn't get to play against the Rockets because he has historical beef with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And so I'm just imagining once the playoffs happen, like the Sixers and Celtics just don't really like each other if they get to play. I think there'd be like a lot of chippiness if the Raptors and Celtics play between Kyle Lowry and Marcus Smart. I just think it's going to be everything's going to be amplified because there's no escape from it. You're all all like once the game stops, you're still in the bubble. And you know what? Maybe you see that same guy you just had beef with on the court and like in the elevator. I just think it's going to be fantastic. It's it's going to be tremendous entertainment. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this theory, and I think you're there wrong. There is no off time. Oh, I explain. think you're wrong. <laughs> I, I just think when you when when you have petty drama in the playoffs, a lot of it is about bullshit that has nothing to do with the players on the teams themselves. Like bringing bringing Drew Bledsoe to a playoff game. That's petty drama, and that's petty drama that can't happen in the bubble. Having but having Drake on the sidelines saying dumb shit, like I don't, I don't even get intrigued by that drama. But it happens, and it's petty, and a lot of the players respond to stuff like that. Now it's players versus players, and only players versus players. There can be nothing else. There will be no other source of pettiness imposed in this bubble and i'm just i'm just not 100% sure you can live up to all the pettiness that all those other forces drop into an arena so i think you're right that the the outside pettiness will be significantly reduced but i'm just imagining these guys have all this opportunity to have this off the court pettiness to kind of take place on the court. Like what if someone doesn't hold the elevator for someone? <laughs> like there's just so like what dumb Nobody should be holding the elevator for anyone. Take, take your own elevator guys, elevator car guys, socially distanced, please. Um, 
So what if someone on like the Raptors is like pretty scared about COVID stuff and then someone in the playoffs is like in the same hotel room and is just like messing with them or like pretending to cough? Like I just think because the players are on top of each other that they're like going to be so much more opportunities for them just to get in stupid interactions. What if someone leaves and someone calls the snitch line on the other team in like game two? Like there's so many things like this I think that could happen. There will definitely be new forms of petty. There will be this is bubble petty. That's what I'm talking about. Pettiness we've never seen before. Versions of pettiness that we didn't even think were possible before 2020 just deteriorated. I I I'll I'll admit that I the possibility of guys running into each other at the hotel or on the campus after playing a game in the middle of a playoff series. That could get like, what if Marcus Morris is in a playoff series and runs into, I don't know, some some jabroni he got into Joel beef Embiid, with some guy Joel Embiid. He doesn't have like is not like cool with him, and they're both in like the. I guess they're not. They're in different uh, hotels, but still, the whole thing. And then the, I think the other element is that the entire other like and like the rest of the NBA is also there. So if like someone drops forty on someone in game one. Then that guy is just hearing from everyone else in the league, like, oh, you just got got for 40 in game one. I think it's just going to drive up emotion. The the other side of that, the flip side, the side that's probably not as fun, a lot of that is just competitive in the heat of the moment shit when it happens. And, like, a lot of these guys are friends off the court. I would be surprised if the animosity is as big as people think it is behind the scenes. I would bet most of that stuff stays on the court. And I also like like remember Jared Dudley and Ben Simmons had that weird like yeah, little, whatever it was. little whatever the fuck that was. Was that last year, two years ago? Yeah, no, it was when Dudley was on the Nets. Yeah, so that was last year. But but like if Jared Dudley and Ben Simmons see each other, like they're not gonna do anything. That's nothing's gonna escalate from what that. if Ben Simmons like says make some snide comment as he's leaving the room. And then there's like, be, I don't know. I'm, this is like a wishful prediction. I just want the petty to be up because I know there's not going to be as much external ballyhoo and tomfoolery. And so maybe this is just a hopeful prediction. My other prediction is that Gordon Hayward departing in September uh, for the birth of his uh, fourth child and his subsequent return is going to be high drama no matter what happens. It's like if the Celtics are still playing, that's going to be in the middle of a playoff series, uh, he's a very solid basketball player and that's going to affect the thing on the court. We're going to get to some hot takes about how, uh, you know, it's like winning is more important. Uh, it's the playoffs. I just think it's going to be, um, it's going to show us the worst of sports fandom. Yeah. I, I've, if you're listening to the wrong people, you, you gotta be listening. That's what the to internet people. is. The internet is filled with wrong people. You gotta listen to some sort of savage. If they think leaving the NBA bubble, to go visit your wife while she gives birth to your first son is a bad thing. Like you are listening to the wrong fucking people if if that's their take that Gordon Hayward should stay in the bubble, should stay away from his wife who's having a child. I I um it is unfortunate the timing is very unfortunate though. It, and because okay, of Okay, say the win the first two games of a series and then Gordon Hayward leaves and they lose the next 3. You don't think some Celtics fans online are going to be some assholes? Like, yeah, they're, so, they're sports fans online. I think that's just what I'm predicting. Twitter 
It's Twitter. You gotta. I'm predicting that Twitter is going to act like Twitter. This one is I'm sure of sure about. Oh yeah, there, there will definitely be drama, but I just, I just don't get why. And, and it is, it is the worst timing possible. If he has to quarantine for four days, even if he's gone for one or two days to see his wife and children, then he's going to be gone for six days in the middle of a playoff series. He could miss three games. So it, it's it's bad timing. It could swing a series. It could derail the Celtics season, but he has so he, to do it. He's a father. This is There's no question he should do it, but... But it's going to cause some drama. That's all I'm saying. That's why it's a great prediction. Next, me and you each selected some people we thought were going to have some outstanding playoff performances, um, but they're a little bit different. You predicted Marcus Smart would score more than 30 points in a playoff game. I predicted Kemba Walker will score more than 40 in a playoff game. Mine's clearly... I don't know which which prediction is more bold because Kemba clearly is is better equipped to score forty. Kemba has definitely scored forty more times than Smart has scored thirty. I'll tell you that much. So you, I think you win for the bolder prediction, uh, but I think mine is more likely. Uh, mine was kind of on a whim. I was reminded this morning that Marcus Smart set the Celtics franchise record for a single game three point makes with 11 earlier this season. That was and, one of the most electric games, I think, from Marcus Smart perspective, but also from a Jay King watching Marcus Smart perspective. I think you were just go, you were you were on one that day. Yeah, because I, I always get joy out of Marcus Smart's shot selection. It always, it never fails to give me joy, whether he's launching heat checks that have no chance of going in or screaming at opposing benches. I am forever in the press box just chuckling at at Marcus Smart's shot selection. So that day, what was he, 11 for 18? I think but he had something three, like nine attempts in the first quarter, something absurd, and then just kept chucking. He was just slinging and slinging and slinging, and it was awesome. And at least one of his misses I can remember missed by like seven feet. But he still hit 11 threes in one game. Year 2020, we should have known at that point, 2020 was just going to be so fucking <laughs> We should. I don't think we should take Marcus Smart scoring 11 threes as a sign of the impending apocalypse. But I think it's I, – I just – how many times has Smart ever scored 30 in or any game? I think just once, maybe twice. I just think that one time. The, like, the reason I predicted Kemba is because I saw some tweet this morning. Is like in the two games against the Bucks, Mar- uh, Kemba combined for something like 79 points. And so I think Kemba's ready to go off. You have Brad saying his knee feels as good as it has since last September. Um, this is so his first time. You're just going to believe that? Uh, you're, you're buying yeah, it? for the sake of my prediction and desire for the Celtics to play well. well I also do, think- you, do you buy in that Kemba's actually feeling good? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been playing basketball, so I don't like. I I don't know. I have no idea how to kind of gauge that. I would like they have taken every single precaution to make sure that there's no like uh, he hasn't he played what nine minutes in that one game and then has practiced hard. But I have no idea. But I think I'm hopeful that he is. You're, you're I don't, a believer. You're a believer. I'm a, uh, you got to believe. You got to have the growth mindset. You got to believe that uh, Kemba is going to be healthy. And if we like. Taking that as the assumption, 
Kemba Walker has not been in the playoffs in what, like five years. He's never, and he's never been surrounded by this much talent. Kemba is a big game scorer. Kemba is the type of guy who can drop 60. Kemba, when he was in his last season, the Hornets dropped like 55 games in a row or something like that. He can get buckets easily. And this is his first time in the playoffs. The first time with like this talented of a team. I just think it's like, he's going to go off. There's going to be a time where it's like, Everyone's like, we need to stop Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is the like main focus of our defensive game plan. And Kemba is going to just scorch him. He Because he's the type of guy who can um, kind of get a sneaky 30 points uh, just with some layups and going to the line a couple times. So if he knocks down a couple threes and gets it going, I think 40 for him in a playoff game is, is perfectly reasonable. I should have said 50. Real bold take by you that Kemba Walker might have a, a big scoring game in the playoffs. You know what? I mean, I'm, that's me. You just realistic, bold, you know, everything uh, hopeful. All these wrapped into one. Now, the next thing we basically predicted the same thing. You did it over the course of two predictions. I did it over the course of one. Well, this is one: the rise of the Jays. You predicted that Jason Tatum would average 27 points per game in the bubble, and that Jalen Brown would be the Celtics' second leading scorer. I predicted that those two combined would average over 50 points per game in the bubble. So we're essentially saying the same thing where if you would think that Jalen Brown can average more than 23 points a game. So, so you think he'll average 23 and Tatum will average 27? No, I think somewhere combined they'll get to 50. You, you're the one who put specific numbers on it, 27. And, and if you want to join me in the 50 points per game, you would have to say Jalen Brown would do 23. I don't. I think so. You so you think Jalen Brown? So how many points a game do you think Kemba's going to score if Jalen Brown's not is going to be below twenty three? He'll be third, and I, I I think that because I think the knee's an issue. I think he won't be at his best. I think the Celtics partly because of that, and partly due to the fact that Tatum has just ascended beyond the point that most people thought he would this season. They're going to steer more and more of the offense through him. They should steer more and more of the offense through him. I think what he was in February and March is just what he is now. And just a, a, a quick glimpse of what he will be for a long time. I think he's going to average 27 points per game in the bubble. I think he's going to be their top scorer. And I think Jalen Brown with Kemba a little hobbled will, will be their second leading scorer. But I think like your reasoning, if Kemba is hobbled, doesn't that mean that like Jalen Brown's points per game are likely to increase? Like what did he average this, like this season? He's already above 20. They had more players above 20 than um, I think anyone else in the league. I'm still not joining you on the 50 Sorry. point per game. So Jalen this year averaged 20 points per game and Jason Tatum averaged 23. Kemba Walker averaged 21. If you're saying that this, that Brown is going to exceed Kemba Walker uh, and that it's it's you're playing a narrow game here. You're basically saying Jalen Brown will uh, uh, average less than 23 points a game and Kemba Walker will average less than 23 points a game. You're basically saying the offense will entirely run through Jason Tatum, which is might be a hopeful thinking. I, because he'll entirely. Be I just don't in- think Jalen will average 23 points a game. That's it. Hey, Jalen had the best game of anyone in the scrimmage. So if we're going off recent performances, it seems like uh, Jalen Brown's in the best shape of his life. 
I just think the Jays uh, have the potential to do it. I don't know if a Tatum's going to be necessarily as high as 27, but I think he could get that high. And then I think Tatum could get up to like 28, 29 points per game. And then the load on Jalen is, is that much I, less. I got a question for you. So I sent my predictions to you by text message today. Did you come up with your predictions before or after? Because a lot of your predictions, right here. a lot of your predictions are very similar to the ones that I predicted. I had my, uh, I had five predictions before you sent your six, and then I added one about Tice to kind of uh, mirror you. But I was actually surprised they were they're very similar. Um, I guess we just it's going to get too much. Yeah, it, I need to it's going to get even worse. We haven't even seen each other in four months, but uh, we've been doing a number of podcasts. It's going to get even worse when we get to the final prediction we both made, which is result is the Celtics' destiny. You said the Celtics will lose to the Bucs in the Eastern Conference Finals. I said the Celtics will make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, Hold note on. is that, that how you spell destiny? So I am looking. I am looking <laughs> at a screen right now for those listening to this podcast. Packard has Dest- spelled destiny, destinity, destinity, destinity. I do not see a red squiggly line, so I did not think about it once. But that is how I chose to spell destiny, D-E-S-T-I-N-I-T-Y, Celtics destinity. <laughs> the little destinity action. Yeah, I, I think I think they're going to beat the Raptors in round two. I think that'll be a fantastic series, but I think that – Jason Tatum will be the best player in that series. And I think that the talent on the rosters is pretty similar, all things considered. And just having the best player, having a guy like Tatum who can go get you a bucket but also get you a stop will make a whole lot of difference. I I think Tatum growing into the player he is now, it's the biggest deal for the Celtics and it will make a major, major impact in the games that matter most. But then they get throttled by the Bucs because Giannis is a force and the Bucs have one of the best defenses in a long, long time. See, that's where my prediction is a little bit different because I'm talking about destiny here. And (laughs) (laughs) I said the Celtics will make the Eastern Conference Finals. I did not say what their outcome would be, but I agree with you. I think they're going to beat the Raptors in the second round. I think that will be a very – Great and entertaining series, but I agree. I just think the Tatum is better than Siakam, I think. And there's the Celtics have better kind of players beyond Tatum than or they're just a deeper team than the Raptors. The Raptors have a very talented team, but I just think and maybe this is the fact that I'm a fan of the Celtics and not a fan of the Raptors. But I think like two through six, the uh Celtics are much better than the Raptors, I guess, two through six, if you say Siakam's their best player. All that being said, Kyle Lowry is very Kyle good. Kyle Lowry is their best player. Well, then. I'm, still, I'm the biggest Kyle six. Lowry guy, but I, I still think. We're a Raptors stand, though, because you're if you're a huge Kyle Lowry guy and a huge Fred Van Fleet guy, like, what's going on here? Are you just a, a big fan like, of the neighbors I, to the north? I feel like if you're a big Van Vliet guy, you've got to be a big Lowry guy. They're just – I'm they're, a big Lowry guy too. That guy's gripped cut from in a similar cloth. They're just grimy, just fucking annoying. <laughs> they're smart like. They're smart like. Competitors who have no business being as good as they are in the National Basketball Association. 
I think, I mean, the Raptors, like, do a, a pretty talented team. They, like, match up well against the Celtics. It's been pretty even and basically based on home court advantage, which will not exist in the bubble. And so largely that does come down to best player in the series. I think their best player is uh, Siakam just because I think he's more dynamic in what, in what he can do. But And I think Tatum is better than both Siakam and Lowry, so it will come down to that. Now, the, I did not say what would happen – in the destinity of the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, you said they would lose to the Bucks. So you just you like really give a destinity if you didn't say what's going to happen to them. I said they'll make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know what's going to happen then. I'm not. A, I'm not a Svengali. I'm just you're, a you're not a true destinity teller. <laughs> but do you think they have zero chance of beating the Bucks? Like if they match up in the Bucks Eastern Conference Finals, I don't just- think there's zero chance. I think first of all, I still want to see the Bucks do it. Like the Bucks. Obviously, they've been a regular season juggernaut for two years. Obviously, this year, they're better than they were even last year. But they haven't won in the playoffs. Like, I, I, w- when you see a team do it in the playoffs, they learn how to, to succeed together. And the Bucs, they still haven't done that. I don't, I don't think it's because they're fatally flawed. I think it's because they ran into a Raptors team that was really damn good and they kind of fell apart a little bit. But I still have questions. And I also think beyond Giannis, if you look at that team, it's not the most talented team in the world. They don't have all these all-NBA guys. They're certainly not like the Warriors were. It's Giannis and Chris Middleton, who's been fantastic, Eric Bledsoe has been really good, but he has issues in the playoffs a lot of the time. So I, I do think there's room to question whether the Bucks can do it in the playoffs. And I think that the Celtics are kind of built to challenge them in some ways because they shoot so many pull-up threes and because they have guys who need to be guarded on the perimeter everywhere. But I just I, I do believe in the Bucks this year, even though I, I said all those questions about them. I believe in them, I think that they're going to represent the East in the finals. The thing that's tough about the Celtics-Bucks matchup is um, no demon. You haven't been interrupting me today because you're shook after that guy went at your neck on Twitter. We'll get to that. I was going to pull that up in a second, but let me get my Bucks take after uh, this. Uh, Celtics-Bucks, it's tough to predict the Celtics are going to do or win that series because Chris Middleton is a demon and will make every single shot against the Celtics. He's just amazing. And they also have the best player, the MVP uh, in Giannis. I think the one chance that the Celtics have is the Bucks' entire defense is predicated upon stopping you at the rim. And they will basically concede three-point shots. And this is, I think, when that best five lineup could be useful is if you put shooters at all five positions and have that best five and the Bucks are just going to, if you just keep driving kick and they're just going to give up three-point shots, if the Celtics can get hot and make a bunch of three-pointers like they, uh, with that lineup or just with a, any kind of kind of combination, I think there's an opportunity there to kind of go threes for twos, as you mentioned earlier. And so I think they have a chance, but it's still Giannis. It's still known demon Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe is a defensive player of the year or all, def- all defense guy. Brooke Lopez is all defense type guy. They just have an amazing defense. 
that it's going to be tough, one, just to stop their, uh, Giannis and him in transition, especially if their transition defense is as bad as it's been during these free, like scrimmage games, and then to kind of keep scoring with them on their, like the Bucks' top-rated defense. And then I think the other piece, too, is the Celtics used to have – they used to have Horford, they used to have Baines guard Giannis. Now they, they used to build a wall. They have oh, a I just totally you again. They have a totally different formula. They're going to have to use Marcus Smart. They're going to have to use Jalen Brown. They're going to have to use their smaller, quicker wings. I don't know if that can hold up against Giannis in a playoff series. Maybe it can, but he's such a beast. He's so strong that I mean, he is far bigger and far stronger than Daniel Tice, who starts for the Celtics at center. He's just a monster, and so I think that's a possible issue, too, for the Celtics if they do face Milwaukee. And he's been in a gym shooting for the past four months. Like, if you see clips of him just, like, knocking down threes, if he can do that, like, the Celtics' main defense against him in the half court is basically to stand at the, like, foul line and try to build the wall. If he can just knock down threes and you have to, like, play up against Giannis, I just don't see how they have a chance. I mean, clearly the Bucks are the favorite, but, you know – who knows what, what happens when you mess with destiny? Destiny. Now, someone was right, messing Jay. with destiny on Twitter. I was trying, I've tried hard this episode to not interrupt you because we, like anything is potable, fans know. I get excited. I just need to yell out my take. And I got called out hard uh, by, I guess, fan of the program, uh, Joshua Smith. I made some comment uh, where saying you said you were funnier than me, which is absurd. And I said, much like Terry Rozier last season, you need a better understanding on your role. And then uh, Joshua Smith comes from the Raptors, says, Jam is to potable what Terry Rozier was to the Celtics last year. On paper, he looks good, but the reality brings everyone else down to his level. That was a, l- <laughs> that was a little harsh considering this is a two-man podcast. So it's like, I apparently Jay is a god, and I'm just on paper I look good, but I'm just bringing you down. Although that that tweet wasn't good for me either, because apparently I let you drag me to your level, and yeah, I should do that. I should be above above peasants like you, no matter what. So yeah, <laughs> can't even. So then he listened again to our uh, our podcast after the the game and said, these podcasts are like Carson Edwards dunking on James Harden. It's loud and flashy, but at the end of the day, he's still Carson Edwards. Jam dunks all over the kid when he starts a point, but at the end of the day, he's still Jam Packard, and the kid is the kid. Now, the the shit-eating grin on your face when you read that tweet, and then this response, I'm going to frame this tweet, and then you get into, like, nice Jay – Packard is a legend, though. I mean, it's it's just I don't even know what he's what he's talking about here. But you have some you have some serious J King stands that exist out in the universe uh, between this guy. Um, there's other people who are just like ride or die for the kid, and I just don't know. I'm nothing I do is ever going to uh, you know uh, make Joshua Smith like like me. But I did try to interrupt you less a little bit today. Swaggy's my guy too. Shout out to Swaggy. Swaggy, I couldn't remember his name, but he's your biggest fan on the on the this here internet. Swaggy's my hero, Josh Joshua Smith. This, this really was fantastic, though. Him calling you Carson Edwards and me James Harden that just made my day. <laughs> it just made my day. I'm not gonna lie, you are. I. You're just. I had had him muted before. Uh, 
So, I mean, I, apparently I had good with that. I initially didn't see any of the responses. And then you responded. And I was like, oh, man, I'm just getting called out left and right. And so there's a fun day uh, to be on the Internet. But I, I'm trying to improve. You know what? I thank you for the honesty. If, if you're going to be a good environment, if you're going to be a good leader, you have to have be open to criticism. And so uh, I'm going to get better each day. going to let Jay finish his points unless they're stupid. Um, and you know what? Part of what makes me good is my propensity to yell and excitement and not inability to stop myself. So it's like, how do you balance that dynamic? Is like, because part of what makes me entertain is I'll yell whatever you're saying in the middle of your point because, um, you know, I'm just, I just need to talk. I would need to, p- to hear the sound of my own voice. And so you're, you're I'm trying to balance those things. I will loudly dunk it down 20. Yeah, absolutely. With I will also. Look, I will also go uh, 0 for 12 shooting uh, threes from deep. It's not going to stop me from shooting. So, you know what? It's, it, maybe it's an app comparison. Maybe I've uh, – We might need Josh to your ass to the G League. I'll drop 35 in the G League. 22 point something. And shoot 20-something percent from the threes if you're truly Carson Edwards. Well, now we're just being insulting here. But it's also just another dichotomy where I'm Carson Edwards and you're James Harden league MVP. It's just – it's frankly, it's absurd. James Harden, baby. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what it is. That is anything is potable. It's just a, a, a matchup of just the, the league MVP and a guy who can barely make it on the Celtics. Just talking about sports. And we will be with you for the entire bubble the Celtics play eight seeding games before the playoffs. We will be with you after each one of those with some podcasts sprinkled in. Uh, Jay is going to continue to do great coverage as Celtics beat reporter. And right now you can get 40% off um, the a subscription to the athletic. That's where you can get all of Jay's coverage and uh basically the entire athletic NBA's team coverage from inside the bubble. So if you go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable, you receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back. Uh, NHL is back. The MLB might be back for a few days here or there. Uh, but if you want kind of all Jay's great work covering the Celtics and just the rest of the great coverage from the athletic covering the league, go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable and you'll get 40% off. James Harden, bitch. Oh, wow. I want to punch you in the face. It's a good thing we don't have to talk again until Friday after the Celtics' first game against the Milwaukee Bucks. But thank you guys for listening. If you like the podcast, subscribe. Tell some friends about it. Tell uh, people if they're looking to get – they're excited about the Celtics returning and they need some insightful analysis uh, from uh, two goofballs, this is the place to do it. And so thank you for listening to – James Harden and Wow, now you're interrupting me, dog. It's, it's, you're interrupting me during the outro. Can't have that. Can't have that. Yeah, buddy. Can't have that. <laughs>